I'm Barbara Olwig. And I'm Travis Randolph. And this is Encapsulated, the Express Scripts podcast. Where we have conversations with the people tackling today's biggest healthcare challenges. All right. Well, today we are sitting down with Carolyn Swift. She is a Senior Outcomes Research Manager here at Express Scripts. So, first of all, thank you for sitting down with us. Of course. Happy to do so. Secondly, why don't you tell us what is a Senior Outcomes Research Manager? Of course. Indeed. Yeah. So, we have an internal outcomes research team here at Express Scripts. uh, And what we do, we're in charge of kind of being that third-party objective outsider that can look at any question you give us and come to the why types of questions and then try to provide as many answers as possible. Most of our team are PhD trained, so that means that we have the training to think about these questions from the lens of rigorous, kind of academic style methodology. Now, ask yourself, that sounds very fancy, right? But it's really, it's, it's not. Basically, it just means that we've been trained to ask questions a slightly different way than other people think about them. So um, really, it means that we're able to try and make connections where there, where other people haven't necessarily, or um, it means that we're able to think about things in the lens of data as well. And so we do that for a variety of different things. But the, the one of our biggest projects in the year is our annual drug trend report, which we're going to talk about today. Um, but then we also do other research projects throughout the year. We publish in academic manuscripts. We attend academic conferences. Um, we're really kind of trying to push the envelope in terms of what we can get out of our data and also um, what we what we can find that's getting to that those nuggets of truth. So in, a, in addition to that complexity, you're the person that if, you know, a, the team in corporate communications comes to you mm-hmm. and says, what does adherence look like for, you know, diabetes? Yeah. You can kind of boil all that down to this is what it looks this like. This is what it looks like. And the reason that it's different for, let's say, the research team versus because we have wonderful, brilliant people working on and other and other functions in um, our knowledge solutions team that work on a lot of very similar questions. And often there's a lot of overlap in the in the two teams in terms of what we can do. Um, the difference is that for research, we're really focused on getting to a population health level question. So let's say we have our full book of business, 100 million people that we want to calculate um, an adherence metric for diabetes. So prevalence of diabetes, um, hashtag diabetes report, go check it out on, on the website. That's another one of our publications. And she's um, also a marketer. Yeah. My colleague, uh, Dr. Moonshi, created that uh, report. He was the, the SME on that report last year, and it's got, it's chock full of information on the diabetes population. So go check it out. It's really great. Um, but then also, uh, so we think about that 100 million lives, distill it down to the 5.2% who are on diabetes medication. So that'd be a pretty huge number, right? But Due to contractual obligations, data security, all those kinds of things, we can't necessarily report out on all of those 100 million lives, right? And also, you want to make sure that if you're making a comparison over time, that you're looking at a consistent group of people. Mm -hmm. So then we have a a research sample that we're using. So Mm -hmm. we're going to have um, things in the data that we're going to be focused on that we want to make sure that we're not taking, we're not considering, for example, Let's say that you have a client who completely got rid of one arm of their um, of their um, plan during the year. You wouldn't want to include them in your analysis because if you're looking at it over time, their population has fundamentally changed, right? So we're going to be the group that's going to be analyzing that. But from a reporting function, if you're thinking about a client that's going to be analyzing their own data, they're going to want to know about everybody because they're going to want to see the trend for the entire their entire group of people. So that's kind of the, the, the main difference. So you mentioned that there's a lot of different ways to slice and dice the data. Yeah. 
are you the one that decides how to slice and dice in order to answer the question that's being posed to you? Yeah, I'm going to that... give you the typical researcher answer, which is, it depends. So okay. Okay. <laughs> there, there are a lot of times when um, it's best to work with existing things that have been that have been created, right? So in some cases, it'll be that I need to work with an analyst who's on the knowledge solutions team um, to, on something they've already worked on and just get the report into kind of that research format. There are other times we have a really excellent data manager on our team um, who also helps us generate those samples that are perfect for research use, mm -hmm. right? And so he's the expert on joining everything together. So you've heard that we have, you know, all these terabytes of data, right? And you think about all the different sources of the data that's coming in. And so um, he's able to distill that those different tables down into one table for us to use, right? Which then makes my job much easier because I can say, okay, I want this attribute from this, this one from this, and then he just hands it to me on a nice little platter um, most of the time. And then <laughs> we're able to, you know, we're able to work with it that way. Um, and that makes it so that we can ask specific questions of a single table, which I'm talking about things in tables, which you're like, what is yeah, a table? What is yeah. A table is a spreadsheet. That's basically uh. what it is. Okay. Well, think of it that way. That's the easiest way to say it. Um, it's really... Think of it like a, a spreadsheet that is millions of miles long and thousands of columns wide. Okay, that you have—it's kind of like a menu that you can choose from in terms of what you want to what you want to pull in, in terms wow. of the attributes and the questions you're asking. Do we come up with the things we want to investigate or research, or do we respond to market need, client need? industry need? The real answer is all of the above. And actually one of the reasons that I'm so excited about the drug trend report every year is because it's one of our chances to uncover what's going on in the data for pharmacy spend. The reason that the drug trend was originally started, um, the reason we started tracking that data about 25 years ago, back in 1993, was that payers were focused on medical spend. They were focused mostly on medical spend because that's where most of the spend at the time was going. They weren't really paying attention. And Express Scripts saw this opportunity of, well, we have this data and pharmacy spend is growing. There are, you know, there are drugs to watch. There are really interesting dynamics at play from a market perspective as well as from a clinical perspective. And so um, that's the magic of the drug trend report is that we're looking at it from a clinical perspective, from a, from a, um, a financial perspective, and also from a human behavior perspective in a lot of ways too. Um, because you think about dynamics of medical care and about pharmacy care, and they're very, there's, there's a lot of decisions that go into whether or not a, a patient is going to start taking a particular medication. Those reasons are going to be clinical, financial, and behavioral, right? And so we're tracking that kind of data from the pharmacy side, and that's what really brings brings to light a lot of questions. So, for example, let's say that, and this is something that featured in our drug trend report this year, we're looking at, um, in the last couple of years, we've been obviously tracking opioid utilization trend, right? right. Because we have this opioid epidemic, we want to know where the trend is tracking. We have a really great solution in place. We want to know where our clients stand with this. So we actually spoke to Jody, Jody Bodeker yeah, yeah. on an earlier episode of the podcast. So yeah, yeah. we're coming full circle. Here. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that was a great episode. Love hearing Thank Jody. You. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys, as she always. Was, yeah. She was a great guest. Yeah. Um, and so what we've seen the last couple of years, we have really steep negative utilization trends for opioids. So Actually, this is probably a good place to explain what is trend, right? What yeah, is negative what is, utilization yeah. trend? <laughs> what is trend in general? Yeah. Okay, so in the drug trend report every year, we examine 
it's very simple calculation. We take what the pharmacy spend was for year one, so and then the pharmacy spend for year two. And we figure out, we distill that down to what the cost is per member per year, which just means that we're kind of averaging it out, mm-hmm. right? Because there are going to be some people who utilize the benefit, some who don't. But on average, it's about about $1,000. has been pretty steady at about $1,000 per member per year for the last several years around there. Um, go check out our previous reports, which all can be found <laughs> online if you want that historical context. Um, but what what that does is it tells us, it's kind of the temp- temperature check on the industry in terms of where we are with spend um, on pharmacy, ph- specifically on pharmaceutical spend through the pharmacy benefit. Okay, so you look at year two, year one. The calculation is pretty simple. Year two minus year one divided what the sp- by what the spend was in year one. So it's just the percent change. That's all the trend is on, on the whole. But in terms of trend, the two main components are utilization and unit cost. So utilization trend is just the amount of the change in spend that's due to people taking more drugs or more people taking more drugs or taking fewer drugs. Uh, The other side of that is the unit cost trend, and that's a mixture of a whole bunch of different stuff. So it's a mixture of the what we call the drug mix, so whether or not people were taking more expensive or less expensive medications, because that's going to influence your average price, right? If somebody's taking more generics or more brands, that's going to change how your trend looks, okay? And then it also contains, um, like, the actual price of the medication. So, you know, what the actual original price would be, and that includes, you know, we, we include all of our costs in terms of gross cost net of rebates. So that just means that we're including not only the plan cost, but also uh, we're factoring in that rebate amount, and we're also factoring in what the patients are paying. So it's a, it's a holistic picture of what the actual spend is for um, a particular drug and for the system. So we have, now you guys feel like you... Kind of understand yeah. what trend is so like, how it moves. So when we say yeah. drug trend report, drug trend yeah. is what you just explained to yes, us. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Back to back to opioids, right? Okay, so we looked at the uh, the opioid utilization trend. And Barb was asking, how do you determine what questions you're gonna right. what what you're gonna ask of the data itself? So this is one of those instances where it spun us off in a different direction of, well, okay, we know that opioid utilization trends are decreasing. What happens if you look at drugs to treat opioid dependence or drugs to treat opioid overdoses? And we're seeing that over the last year, those drugs, the utilization has spiked. It's, it's, go, it's yeah, it's going up, you know, 30, 40% in some lines of business. So we actually, in our drug trend report every year, we produce four separate reports within one. So there's the commercial drug trend report, which focuses specifically on those employer and health plan groups. And then you have um, the Medicare um, the Medicare book of business that we focus on for the Medicare DTR, Medicaid, obviously the Medicaid plans, and then the health exchange group. So we talk about slicing and dicing the data. That's one major way wow. that we slice and dice it. And when you look at it, you can see that between those different groups of people, the issues that they're facing are really different. And I think it's really interesting from like a socioeconomic perspective too, sure. because, you know, in, um, in, uh, like in the Medicaid population, for example, their number one condition for the last several years in terms of spend has been HIV because that's the that one just rises to the top. Now, it's number five in commercial, so it's still up there, but it's not competing um, in the Medicaid population as much because you don't have some of the other factors at play. It's just really interesting to me because the mm. utilization is different. So not, not to spoil the ending, if sure, somebody sure. wants to go out and read the you know, drug trend report from cover to cover, mm-hmm. but what does drug trend look like? Yeah. <laughs> Great question, Travis. So glad you asked. So um, drug trend, if you get one thing out of this episode, it's that drug trend for our Express Scripts book of commercial book of business overall is 0.4%. 
What that means is employer and um, health plans together paid approximately 0.4% more in 2018 compared to 2017. Um, okay, so uh, last year trend was 1.5. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year trend was 0.4. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so trend itself is going down. And even these numbers that we're talking about, 1.5%, 0.4%, you know, it seems like trend is pretty under control. Yeah. But all we hear about is how drug prices are skyrocketing. Right. So yeah. how does that work? Yeah. So think of it like a, a scale, right? So um, think of it like we're balancing some scales here because you're absolutely right. There are tons of drugs out there where the price and essentially the, the spend on those drugs is increasing. But then you have in the marketplace, you have a lot of drugs that are declining in cost. So the best example I can think of to give you is the difference between what's happening with brand drugs versus generic drugs. So brand drugs on the whole are increasing year over year in terms of their their amount of spend. Now that that trend has started to plateau a little bit, but it's still it's still increasing. And then um, generic drugs over the past several years have also continued to decline. And so that there's a huge differential in terms of the, um, the amount we're spending on brand drugs versus the versus generics. Okay. So that's one thing. So if you think about it in terms of what we're spending, we're spending less money on particular generics. We're spending more money on brands. That doesn't mean that there aren't brand drugs that have lower costs this year compared to last year. And that doesn't mean that there aren't generic drugs that haven't increased their costs. Because there are. There, there are. Um, but how much those things are occurring, that's what leads us to that 0.4%. And also, don't forget the utilization component. Because there's also some utilization factors at play, too. Um, for example, we know that certain conditions have um, increased utilization. So the utilization of a lot of specific therapy classes, and that's therapy class just means um, what that drug is typically used for. So for example, um, within uh, within diabetes, you have certain drugs that are most of, like 90% of the time, 99% of the time, they're used for diabetes treatment, but not always, right? So we look at things from that, that window of the therapy classes. And there are certain therapy classes where utilization is increasing. Examples include inflammatory conditions, which is things like rheumatoid arthritis, mm-hmm. ankylosing spondylitis, Crohn's disease, those kinds of um, conditions, diabetes, oncology, um, HIV as a high, uh, higher utilization this year compared to last year. Um, so it's increasing there. And part of the reason I can see Barbie yeah, like, that, why? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, surprising. Because the rate of transmission of HIV is going down. The trend is going down, right. which is great. Right. Um, a lot of that has to do with PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis. So um, the that's the use of an actual HIV treatment medication to prevent transmission of uh, HIV in a non-infected person. Uh-oh. So that's what PrEP stands for. And there's one drug currently approved for PrEP use, um, and the utilization of that has has gone up. So that's why we're seeing utilization of meds. There's also um, some utilization changes because of shifts in whether patients are using multi-tablet or single-tablet regimens. With HIV, you have single-tablet regimens and multi-tablet regimens. What that means is that, um, and just so you know, to treat HIV actively, you need to have at least three antiretroviral medications that you're using in order to suppress the virus. Because that's the whole goal of HIV treatment, right? Is to suppress the virus so that essentially you could take a blood test and the HIV is undetectable. And that's the case for a lot of people who are adherent, meaning they're taking their medication as described, to their regimen. So there are people who are on multi-tablet regimens, which means they have to take multi-tablets 
multiple tablets a day in order to get those three antiretro, at least three retrovirals in their system. And then you have these newer single tablet regimens, which includes all three drugs and one pill that you have to take once a day. Okay. And so we see some shift between those drugs because there's, there are different costs, there are different side effects. Um, also there's shift um, because there are newer products that have different side effects. And um, so patients may want to move to a newer drug, but then maybe they can't tolerate or maybe it doesn't work for their strain of HIV. So there's a lot of, again, there's the clinical factors, the economic factors, and the behavioral factors that are all going to kind of come together wow. to figure this out. So you, you hit on why why I really feel like your job is so critical because utilization of HIV drugs is on the rise. And if you were to just look at that, you would draw the conclusion that HIV, HIV. is becoming a bigger problem. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about HIV drugs to prevent the transmission of HIV and HIV is actually going down, mm-hmm. then, I mean, I think that is, uh, that's just like the perfect reason why you have to look deeper into the data than just what a surface number might tell you. For sure. And a lot of that comes from, you know, I don't have all that knowledge stored in my brain. Uh, I work with very, very smart clinicians who uh, who have helped me understand. And I had a really excellent uh, clinical intern last summer who also helped me understand the different drugs. And then, you know, I've also worked with some of our physicians too, to understand what what are these complex factors affecting HIV? But then, you know, there are 15 conditions in the top 15 that we that we go into detail on. So, and then you also have the, you know, couple hundred that we have overall and we're measure it's a temperature check, right? That's what the <laughs> wow. DTR is for and it really helps us figure out, okay, wh- why is this what are the why questions we need to be asking? Um, because it's our really our first line of, hey, alarm bells are going off in the drug trend report, and here's why. You said it takes a village um, mm-hmm. to put these yeah. reports together. Could you kind of put the parameters around that? How many people work on something like That's the drug trend question. report? It is a great question. Um, it's So our team um, alone has, you know, five people that are dedicated to this project at, at during our peak drug trend season. Uh, and then we also have a variety of partners. I would, I haven't ever counted it. It's, I would assume it's over 100 people that are tied together. And so we have a whole group on our Office of Clinical Evaluation and Policy that is monitoring the drug pipeline. What are the new drugs that are going to be coming out later? What are the drugs that are going off patent protection, which means that there's going to be generics available potentially? And then we also have, um, and they're wonderful people, um, shout out to Andy, Ruth, and uh, Chris and Amy. You guys are fantastic. Then are we you going to list all 100 people? No. Uh, yeah, it's a good point. That's a good point. Maybe we should, uh, we'd be here for another hour. Yeah, the yeah. You. yeah, this would just become a totally different podcast at that point. Who works at Express Script? So let's start naming all of the thousands of people. Okay, so then um, then we have our, our colleagues in supply chain who are monitoring you know, how we are acquiring drugs and what the prices are and what they're going to be in the future and what you know what they have been in the last year and why those market factors are in place. Um, you also have uh, the, our folks, if you've probably noticed, the drug trend report is beautiful and is, is not written like a typical uh, paper out of academia, right? So uh, we have our folks in creative that we depend on to um, help us tell that, tell that story behind the data to make it look pretty. Shout out to Nick and all of his late nights, you know? Um, and then we have... Um, 
all of our folks in marketing who help us tell the story to clients and help them understand the bridge between their data and what we're seeing book of business. And then you get into all of our colleagues on Knowledge Solutions who are helping us to understand what's going on in client reporting. How can we understand the data that they're seeing and sharing with clients and how it relates to our data and how are they reporting on specific solutions and all of those kind of things. Oh, and then we also have our, our Uh, wonderful partners in corporate communications who are also keeping in mind that lens of, you know, how we need to be the thought leaders in in certain areas. And they're keeping track of what's going on in the news and what's happening on Capitol Hill. And we have this wonderful other piece of the drug trend report that we haven't even talked about, which is our policy piece that that talks about the health policies that are most important that are happening right now in D.C. in terms of what we're doing um, in those spaces so that people understand that, you know, we're not just an idle bystander here. We're, we are really trying to affect reasonable and meaningful change for, on the behalf of our patients and, and the plans that we serve. And, and so, you know, my, my colleague, um, Dr. Munshi, is in charge of the Medicare and Medicaid um, part of the Drug Trend Report and does an excellent job with the hundreds of different people that are he's working with to determine what those factors are from a, a plan perspective. Each section of the report, um, before you get to the nitty gritty of the numbers in the back, Each section leading up to that is a a different story about what we've done, what we're doing, what we're going to do in these different spaces. And so um, another example of that is our benefit design. So when we think about um, how plans are managing their trend, a good example of that is um, within and and how how they're managing the benefit. So then the other person that's really, really integral to the entire drug trend report is our senior leadership. So Dr. Stetton is the, uh, the senior vice president of um, clinical research and new solutions, and then also is our, um, our chief innovation officer. And so that really gets to the underlying principle of the drug trend report. It's innovation. It's you know uncovering of these new things. And so his direction, too, is to help us be as creative as possible in how we're thinking about the data. And also, he's got that great lens of what's coming, you know, 50, 100, 200 miles down the road, because that's, you know, where he's usually thinking. This focus. Yeah, exactly. And so being able to help us kind of think through that lens as well is super important. Well, and it sounds like with all the teams involved, it, it helps to have a really strong leader at the top <laughs> to like keep them all together. Exactly. Yeah, heard the cats. Yep. Awesome. The very intelligent cats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. So sitting here, talking to you, watching you, listening to you, your passion for this is just oozing oh, out yeah. of every pore. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and, and your curiosity, too. Where does that come from? And talk a little bit about Carolyn. Okay. And, All right. and where where did that come from? Sure. Uh, so I was very uh, privileged growing up to grow up in a family of a couple of very scientifically minded people. My parents are both uh, both scientists in their own right. My dad's a physician. My mom is a, a medical technologist. And uh, both of them went to graduate school. And they were always encouraging us to ask questions. I was never once, you know, kids always ask why. Uh-huh. My parents were always like, bring it on. You know? and my, my, dad is, my dad's kind of like a walking encyclopedia. Oh, and so, gosh. yeah. And he's really funny too. So, I mean, he, they never shied away from any biological question, any scientific question. And if they didn't know the answer, they'd say, oh, go look it up. That's, that's where it originally came from was that, that the sparks of curiosity were never dampened. In fact, they were highly encouraged. Um, and then that continued throughout all of uh, all of high school, college, et cetera. I, um, I found I 
originally wanted to be a scientist. I, I knew I wanted to be a scientist or a teacher um, because I, I'm really passionate about sharing information <laughs> with people. Um, I love taking complex. My favorite thing is to take a complex topic and distill it down to something that anybody can understand because I really do believe that that's you can take any complex topic and distill it enough to where you could you could get anybody to understand it and meet people where they are because I think that's really helpful for us. Mm-hmm. It's needed um, for sure. At the time, I had just graduated college. So it was June after my senior year, and I was like, well, I don't know. I'm not going to med school, so i got to figure out what I'm, what I'm doing. And I realized that public health is where I wanted to go. But then along that journey, I found health outcomes research, which is essentially just the same thing as epidemiology, but it's pointed specifically at health care instead of oh, okay. at diseases specifically. So, so that's, how I, that's how I ended up here um, mm-hmm. because – our, I mean, my title is Senior Outcomes Research Manager. That's yeah. essentially what we're in yeah. charge of, right, is figuring yeah. out how we can distill these complex concepts of um, how healthcare and in, in our case for drug trend, how pharmacy um, care is being utilized and what we can do to change that to make people um, have better access to their medications and how we can make things more affordable. And there's no topic right now that's that's more prevalent than, than our healthcare system. And why is it not working? What can we do? What's the answer? It's, yeah. it's pressing. And as, you know, as a researcher, I'll give you my classic, my classic answer, which it, it depends. And we're still working on that. <laughs> yeah. right? And I think we're always going to be working on that. I don't think that's a question that's ever going to go away, which just means that we have more and more work to do, which is, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. I'm supremely lucky to get the, the opportunity to ask those why types of questions. Um, I know that you're pursuing your PhD right now, yeah. so you're dealing with very in-depth topics. You work in a very complex part of a very complex field. So how do you stay grounded? How do you make sure that you can still <laughs> relate this information yeah. to just like a day-to-day conversation? She said it earlier. She stays up until 2 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so that's a great question. Um, I think that the the best way to say it is that people are always have always and always will be the most important thing in my life. So um, staying grounded means talking to people throughout the organization, including you guys, you know, uh, having refreshing conversations with people who don't work in research or who work in research in another field. I love cooking. Um, I love food science. I love um, learning how to cook new things and especially experiencing new cultures through food. Um, Travel is a big one. Reading. Um, I have a lot of hobbies that I've collected over the years. Woodworking and music especially is a a huge one. Um, So another one of my best friends, um, he and I, he actually works here at Express Scripts and we we collaborate on music. Um, And now that right now, while I'm in my PhD, we're not doing it as much as I think either one of us would like to together, but um, I'm looking forward to that. You mentioned thought leadership around the drug trend report, yeah. and I just want to get this plug in because Express Scripts was the first PBM, Pharmacy yeah. Benefit Manager, to publish a drug trend report 25 years ago, mm-hmm. and now it's it's considered industry standard, right. and that's not the first time Express Scripts was the first two <laughs> yeah. and now the, there's a long the, history of that yeah yeah. yeah 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 and I think a lot of that speaks to our culture here um you know one of the the true privileges of this job and of working here is that there are no questions that I don't feel comfortable asking of the data or of our our, par- our partners and um to talk about a little bit about the history of the drug trend report yeah we started collecting the data in 1993 the first report was in 1995 so I mean yeah, 25 years of drug trend data, that's a huge, massive history. And 
it's interesting to look at the evolution of the drug trend report as well as a document mm-hmm. um, because, you know, it goes through like looking at a lot of these different predators, if you want to call them that, in terms of of spend, right? You know, you look at the evolution of drug trend and compounded drugs were way up there in the top a couple of years ago. And it's kind of like watching, if you look at it over time, it's kind of like watching a a race, right? You see compounded drugs take the lead, you know, and they they kind of go up (laughs) and then, oh, Express Scripts comes in and and they're completely out of the top 10 now. Same story goes with Hep C, you know, those huge medications. We came out with our Hepatitis Cure Value Program. And then you look at over time, the competition and a lot of, you know, the utilization has changed too because as people are getting cured, now hepatitis C isn't even in the top 15. It sounds like those were a couple cases where those alarms kind of got set off by the research that went into the report. Yeah. Or initially they were like in the pre-work for the drug trend report as well. You know, what can we, what can we do here? We're seeing this, this happen, right? So. So you talk about pre-work. How long do you work on the drug trend report? Oh, it's an all year long thing. Um, (laughs) But really what it is, it's... It's a good it's a good four months um, of work that are distilled then into these you know twenty pages that you see put out in the public. But we still we still generate you know all the data that that and the insights for about one hundred and forty pages worth of insights that are used um, by you know, everybody um, and, um, all of those people I just mentioned you know and and more. Um, but the uh, the project itself throughout the year we're always asking okay. Is this, and our partners on cor- corp- uh, corporate communications are really good about saying, too, you know, this is a big story for 2018 or for 2019. Let's look at drug trend from this perspective once we get there, you know, later on in the year. All right. Well, I thank have... you so much yeah, for sitting down with us. This, this was great. Yeah, so enlightening. And um, if you want to read the full drug trend report, you can visit lab.express-scripts.com. Uh, Carolyn, you mentioned there are so many teams and so many people that work on this. Uh, if you're interested in being a part of any of those teams, you can visit express-scripts.com careers. And finally, of course, please subscribe to Encapsulated on uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast episodes. And Thanks for having me. Well.